Well, good morning, Hills Church. How are we doing this morning? Good, man. You guys are awake. You're alive. I'm glad you are here. Now, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at the Hills Church. Now, before we get started, I want to have a little bit of fun this morning. Is it all right if we have a little bit of fun in church? All right. I'm going to ask you guys a question. And if this applies to you, first off, you're in church, so you can't lie. You got to be honest. If it applies to you, I just need you to raise your hand in the air, okay? If you think that you are smarter than the average person, please raise your hand. Remember, you're in church. Some of you are honest straight away. You're like, pew, that's me. Some of you are like, I can't do that in church. You don't need to be humble. You can actually be honest about it. You can say, I'm smarter than the average person. That's cool. Now, whether you raise your hand or not, the majority of us really do believe that we are smarter than the average person. I'm a better driver than the people in Evansville. They drive 15 miles per hour below the speed limit. They don't use their turn signals and they cut us off on the road, right? We think we're better drivers than other people. If you look online, people will be arguing about the different sports team. My team's better. No, this team is better. We will argue about that between who is right and who is wrong. We love to be right. I remember when I was growing up as a kid, when I was about to go into my freshman year of high school, up to that point, something about me is I was homeschooled till then. So this is the very first year. My mom's like, I'm done with you. Go to school, you know? And so I remember we went into the guidance counselor. We're sitting down and we're picking out classes. And so my mom's just saying, okay, just a normal like English class, a normal math class. If you can do that sort of thing, that's great. And I'm sitting there. I'm kind of confused. I'm like, hey, mom, can I, can I have one of those honors classes like John? No, here's what you need to understand about the question I just asked. My brother John is an insanely smart human being. He graduated with a 4.4 GPA, has a master's degree in mechanical engineering, is a very intelligent human being. Me up to that point in my scholastic career had not proven that I was an intelligent human being. Right? While I was homeschooled, my mom would be like, Chris, you've got to read all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. You know, I just didn't want to read it at all. And when I would take tests, I would do awful. This is so true. I literally took a standardized test when I was like eight or nine years old. And it was supposed to be a two to three hour test. Okay, so my mom drops me off. She's going grocery shopping. She gets a call 15 minutes later that says Chris is done with the test. And it's not because I'm that good. Okay, literally, I read the story skimmed it. It was about Benjamin Franklin flying a kite. And then I had to write an essay on it. It took other kids two to three hours. It took me 15 minutes. Needless to say, I was not a good student. So my mom, hearing all of this, looks at me and says, you can have one. Like if it was a piece of candy that was going to spoil my dinner. You know what I mean? Like I could have one of those classes. And so that happens. We sign up for all of it. We're sitting in the car and we're driving home. I'm pumped about high school. I'm like, I'm going to meet so many new people. I'm going to make friendships. It's going to be amazing. And as we're driving, my mom looks at me and she says these words. She's like, Chris, I just want to let you know that whether you get C's or D's, your father and I still love you. Which is so sweet if you think about it, because she's trying to remind me that my, you know, value is not in my grades, but in what they say about me. But it was also at this moment I realized my mom thought I was dumb. (laughs) Right? And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, 
what the heck is going on? And so I remember, and not that I was bitter about it or angry about it, I just thought it was kind of weird that she said that. As I went through high school, I'm very proud to report that I actually graduated with a two, uh, yeah, 2.4 GPA. I got straight A's all through high school, except for AP microeconomics. I got a B in it, but I'm not bitter about that, and I'm moving on in my life. And then I went to college, got a business degree in marketing and management, and I look over my life, and I was like, this is what my mom thought. And honestly, at the time, she was right. Up to that point, hadn't really proven I would be a good student. I literally talked to my dad about this yesterday in the story I was going to tell. And he's like, Chris, we always saw potential in you. We just didn't know if you were going to achieve it, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, they're doubling down. And so legit, I was like, but you know what? I was right. I was able to go through that. And so many times in our life, we get to this place. And now notice when I say this sarcasm is heavily implied, right? We go into this place where we love to be right. That I am so smart. I'm smarter than the average people. And in our life, there are so many issues and so many dumb people. Like, I know what's right, what we're supposed to do about politics. I know what's right about gender issues and sexuality issues. I know what's right. I know what's right about how to raise your kids and what translation of the Bible you should read. I know what's right. We love to be right. And today, as we're in week three of this series called No Offense, I want to speak to this idea of being Right, because if we're not careful followers of Jesus, it will cause us to be ineffective in winning and training and sending people for Jesus because we'll push people farther away than bringing them closer to him. So today I want your permission on something. Today I really want to push you a little bit. And if it's okay that I do that, say, Chris, push me. You said it and you can't take it back now. I'm going to push you, okay? So I want to read you guys a passage here today because we see that in Luke chapter 18 that Jesus is talking to a group of people who look a lot like our culture today. People who are very self-righteous, that they are right, right? Like they're very holy, they've got everything together, and they think that they are smarter and better than the people around them. That sounds a lot like our culture today, that someone could think they're right over on this side and someone right over on that side and they think that the other side is wrong. And Jesus speaks to that group of people. And we see this in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. He says this, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Let's pause and let's point out the two people who are in the story. The first is a Pharisee. Someone who was very outwardly self-righteous. Right back in those days, Pharisees had to follow 613 laws to be a Pharisee. As Christians, we have to follow 10. And if you boil it down even more, Jesus then gave us two. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We got it pretty simple. So these guys on the outside have it all together. They're eloquent of speech. They've read all of the Old Testament texts and the Torah and all these other things. They had it all together. But on the flip side, you had someone who outwardly was very unrighteous. Somebody who was an outcast in society. He was a notorious sinner that nobody liked nor associated with. And it's interesting how Jesus talks about the both of them. Starting back in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I get a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. 
For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What I find so interesting about this passage is that Jesus wasn't just concerned about right and wrong. The Pharisee was right. Tax collector was wrong. But Jesus wasn't just concerned about right and wrong. He was also concerned about pride and humility. Why? We've got to understand this truth, is that proud people don't love well. The title of this message today is, You Aren't As Right As You Think. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for this morning, this time that we have to be with you. God, I pray right now under the sound of my voice as we talk about this message that you be working on our hearts. If there's any place that we are prideful in them, Lord, we will release that and give that over to you. Let us walk in humility as you have called us to do so that we can be effective for you. We love you and we thank you. It's your name I pray. Amen. If you look at our world today, we live in a complicated time, right? Is that we live in this time where everyone thinks they're right, regardless of the line that they're on. I'm right over here. I'm right over there. I know what to do about this issue and that issue. I'm right. You're wrong. And if we're not careful as Christians, what I'm afraid of that's going to happen is we can easily slip into our own righteousness or our own spiritual pride, much like the Pharisees. And I say this, and I say this respectfully, I think a lot of times as Christians, because we have the truth of the Bible, that we almost feel like it's our job to be right. Because I know the truth, because I know the Bible, it's my job to be right, which is partially true. We're supposed to share the truth with others. But what starts to happen so often is we start to become like a Pharisee, and we almost see ourselves as guardians of the truth. And because of that, because we believe that we start to become elevated because we know what is true, we don't judge, but we start to assess people. Oh yeah, that's a great guy. He's so sweet, so kind, but he's just a little bit full of himself. Yeah, she's great and she's awesome, but she just can't raise her kids well. Oh, he's a great guy, but behind the scenes, he's struggling a little bit with his drinking and the way that he speaks. Oh, he's a great guy, but if you look behind the scenes, he's struggling with what he looks like on a computer screen. And we start to become assessors of other people. And what I would start to see is that when we start to do these things, not only do we start to assess people, but then we start to pick up offenses from those people. Because we think we're morally superior to them because we know truth, we start to look at those people as less than. We start to be offended. Well, I can't believe that they would vote this way. And I can't believe that they would speak this way. And I can't believe that they would live their life this way. And I can't believe they would make this decision and that decision. Oh, if I had that money, I wouldn't be spending it that way. And what starts to happen is we start to pick up offenses of other people. And what then starts to happen, starts to simmer on our heart. And what was once an offense then turns to contempt. And we start to hate the very people that Jesus has called us to love, which is a very dangerous place for a disciple of Jesus to be. And not only do we hate them, we start to push away and we start to become ineffective in reaching the Midwest for him. We start to push people when we give them a bad example of what Jesus looks like and it puts a bad taste in their mouth. And I need to point this out. As the Pharisee was right, and he knew it, the Pharisee is literally standing there saying, God, thank you that I'm not like these sinners in this tax collector and robbers and thieves. I am holy, I am righteous, and I am good. We tend to think that we're the best assessors, the best judges, that we are the most right. 
But we've got to come to this realization is that everyone in this room, no matter who you are, how squeaky clean of a life you've lived, we are all sinners. Every one of us. No matter where you are, the Bible is very clear that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You want to quote the Bible? It says that our hearts are wicked and very easily deceived. And as much as we think that we are right, we are so often very wrong. And even if you are right in the situation, I would push you and argue to say, you might be right, but the approach is wrong. And because our approach is wrong, we're pushing people farther away. Why? Because we're living this place of self-righteous where we think we're better. And people can't come to know Jesus when we're pushing them away. Let me prove it to you. Now, when I say this, this is completely sarcastic, okay? So please don't take me seriously. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Why? Because I'm awesome. I want to let you guys know that I'm a pretty amazing person because every time I get a paycheck, I will always give 10%, but Rachel and I, we always give above and beyond. I want to let you know that I read the Bible and I pray every single day. I am so spiritual that I made sure that before I got married, I never had sex. I made sure that I don't drink, that I don't smoke. And before I watch any TV show, if it has a high rating, I'll check IMDB to make sure that there's no filth in it that will penetrate my heart. I lead two small groups with high school and college students. By the way, if you're a college student in here or young adults, please come see me. We're starting this Tuesday and we want you to come join us. Back in sarcasm mode. Okay. <clears throat> I'm so spiritual because I lead those things. Now let me ask you a question. After hearing me talk about myself, do you like me? Here's a more important question. After seeing how holy I am, does it make you want to follow Jesus more? The real thing we've got to understand is that people aren't drawn to Christ by our moral superiority. They're actually pushed farther away from it. And just because you may be right doesn't mean you're making a difference. Man, that's a hard truth to understand. Just because you may be right doesn't mean you're making a difference. In fact, I would argue you're actually harming the cause instead of helping it. You might be right, but it's the wrong tactic. Because think about it. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're really right. But what if there are a bunch of right Christians who are rude? What if there are a bunch of right Christians who are armed with truth, but they hate the very people that God has called us to reach? And what we're doing is pushing people away. We're making a point, but we're not making a difference. See, Jesus wasn't just concerned about right and wrong. He was also concerned about pride and humility. You may be right, but your approach is wrong. And if we're not careful, that will make us ineffective Christians, unable to reach the very people that God has called us to reach. And so what I want us to do and talk about today is how can we change our approach a little bit so that we can live in truth, but also be effective people for God. And what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus's life. And what's interesting about Jesus is that Jesus never sinned. He was literally perfect. And if there was anybody who could sit on his high horse and be like, it's me. It was Jesus. But notice when you read scripture that even though he was sinless, sinful people flocked to him. 
There's four examples of that that I want to share today. The first one is simply that Jesus is just hanging out with a crowd of people. They're sitting around eating food. And these guys are notorious sinners. The Pharisees walk up and say, how could you hang out with people like this? And Jesus tells them, who needs a hospital? The sick or the healed? It's the sick. Jesus hung out with them and they were encouraged. Their lives were changed. We see that there is a woman, the second example, that she was a prostitute. She literally came in with oil and perfume and poured them on Jesus' feet and start to wash them. Why? Because the glory and presence of God and the love that he had shown to her changed her life. Third example is we see by a man by the name of Zacchaeus, that he was the chief tax collector. And in those times, not was he just a normal tax collector, he was the dude over all the other ones. And literally, he would turn his back on his own people, take money for them, take more than what he should have, give it to the Roman government, keep some of it for himself, and then the Roman government would come and then terrorize the people that he's taking it from. So the people hated his guts. And Jesus is literally walking into town, and Zacchaeus hears about Jesus, and he's trying to get a view, but he's super short, so he climbs up in a sycamore tree. And as he's standing there, Jesus, who was right, who had never sinned, could have looked at Zacchaeus, and told him the truth of all of his sins. You're a thief. You're a robber. But instead, he doesn't do that. In fact, he puts value on him because he calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. We're going to have dinner at your house. And we see that Zacchaeus is overwhelmed by this gesture of love that he looks at Jesus and said, if I've robbed from anybody, I will pay them back four times of what I stole from them. And his life was radically changed. The final example is we see this woman at a well. She's sitting there in the middle of daytime, no one's around, and Jesus walks up to her, and he just knows everything about her life. Like he was literally reading her journal the night before. He's just like, yeah, you've been jumping from guy to guy, from marriage to marriage. You've been looking for something to satisfy you that can never do that. He's like, but what if I offered you living water so you'll never thirst again a relationship with God? And she sees this overwhelming moment of somebody who had the right to push her down instead love her right where she was at. And this joy inside of her that she got up and shared the message of Jesus and said, come see this man who told me everything about myself. And so we see that all of these sinful people wanted to be around Jesus. Why? Because Jesus didn't make them feel wrong. Jesus made them feel loved. And what I want to do is I want to read to you uh, in the New Testament a passage that I think really encapsulates what it looks like and how we're supposed to address people on this issue. We see that in John chapter 13. I want to start at the very beginning to give you context of where Jesus is at in this passage. And you can see where his heart's at. We see in John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So notice where Jesus is at. This isn't at the height of his ministry. This is at the end. He knows that he's about to be betrayed. He knows that he's about to be taken to the cross. So how does Jesus respond? Having loved his own who were in the world, catch this, he loved them to the end. Man, if you literally had one night left, how would you really act? I think for me, honestly, if I was personal, I'd be like, I want to go like, live my life. Let's go see the world. It's all about me, right? I'm almost gone. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to love them to the very end. So what did he do? We see that Jesus goes and he puts on a servant's cloak and he gets down with a bowl and some water and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. 
which if you think about it is very countercultural to that time because he's the master, he is the teacher. And because he is higher up to put himself beneath the disciples and down to the rank of the lowest servant should have never happened. And the disciples are freaking out. Jesus, no, you can't wash my feet. In fact, let me wash yours. And he's like, no, 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 I must do this. He shows it what it looks like the most humble serving act to love them. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Once that ends, they begin to eat dinner at the Passover meal. And he knows that Judas is about to betray him. And he's speaking, he's talking, and he says, one of you are about to betray me. He passes the bread over to Judas. Judas takes it, and he's about to head off. And Jesus says, do what you must. And Judas goes off to betray the man that he had been following for years. See, perform every miracle. Heal people. Walked on water. Miracle after miracle. And Judas is now going off to betray the man that he had followed his life with. And with Jesus sitting there, knowing he's being actively betrayed, knowing his time is coming to an end, these are the words that he says in verse 33. He says, my children. And if you notice this phrase, my children in the Greek is technia. Okay, And this is the first time technia has been used up to this point. When Jesus has said, my children, in English, it was that of uh, the, the son of God. So it's the relationship here. But in here with technia, the relationship has changed. It's gone from God the son to God the father. And so he's saying with a deep love that a parent has to his child, I call you my children. The relationship's changed. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. But get this, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will they know that you're following Jesus? How will they know that you're a disciple of him? How will they know that you love Jesus? They won't know that you're his disciple by how you vote. They won't know that you're his disciples by how you post. They won't know that you're his disciples by what you're against. And they won't know that you're his disciple by how right you think you are. They will know that you are his disciple by how you love by how you love. And so it makes me wonder this question, in this attempt of trying to reach people for Jesus, why are we so ineffective in this? Why can't we love others? I think it's because we're too busy being right. And see, Jesus wasn't just concerned with right and wrong, he was also concerned with pride and humility. Why? Because proud people don't love well. Because when we start in a prideful stance within our hearts that I'm right, it creates a very negative cycle that takes place. I want you guys to see this. When we have this heart posture of that I'm right, we feel morally superior. Look at the Pharisee in his life. He's literally standing there and he's thanking God about how great he is. Thank you, God, that I give 10%, that I fast, that I'm not like these people. He was morally superior, even though he was just as much as a sinner as the tax collector. And when we feel morally superior, we become judgmental. 
God, thank you that I'm not like an adulterer, that I'm not like this tax collector, like this person. God, thank you that I'm not like my coworker who's living this crazy lifestyle. Thank you, God, that I'm not like my parents because of this. Thank you that I'm not this person. That we become judgmental of how people talk, how they act, how they choose to vote, how they do all of these things. And when we become judgmental, we become easily angered and offended. And we'll pick up this offense because of how someone speaks or how someone lives their life. Instead of loving people that Jesus has commanded us to, and notice that people will know that you are his disciple by the way you love. Instead, We're easily angered and offended and we're pushing people away from coming to know Jesus and we're ineffective in sharing the gospel with people. Why? Because I'm right. But there's a different way that God wants us to go about this. Proud people don't love well, but people who are humble, like the tax collector, they can love well. Why? Because you come from a heart posture that says, I'm forgiven. Right, Because when you come from a place that says that I'm forgiven, the first thing that happens is that you feel a profound sense of gratitude. It's not because of my works or my actions that I've been saved and set free. It's because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So God, I'm so thankful for that. There's gratitude that's within my heart. And when we feel a profound sense of gratitude, the next thing that we see is that we can go ahead and become more accepting. Yeah, I know that this is how they're living their life, and I know that's different, I know what truth is, but if God can forgive me of my sins, I can overlook and love them right where they're at because love, God loved me where I was, and we can become more accepting. And the final thing that happens is once we become more accepting, we're overflowing with love. Why? Because when you've experienced the real love of a heavenly father who loves you right where you're at in all of your mess and all of your mistakes, it allows you to love them as well. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And then instead of being right and ineffective, we can be humble, we can be loving, we can still share the truth, but do it in an effective way. Why? Because you don't change people by judging them, but by loving them. You know, I remember when I was in college, I worked at a Ford dealership. And up to that point in my life, I'd always grown up in my home church. I actually worked from that church from 18 all the way to about 21. During that season of my life, I got incredibly burnt out. Um, Just a lot of difficult stuff happened of trying to be a full-time student, working full-time ministry. It it just didn't work out. So I took a season where I stepped away. And I had a friend who went to the church with me. His name was Mac. And he's like, dude, come work at me with Ford. I was like, I know nothing about cars, but let's do it. And so I remember I was working there, and I was a service ambassador, which is a very fancy term for someone who writes up your car and then washes it later. Okay, and so I remember I was there and people would come in, I'd write up all their cars and I worked with about 10 other guys on different shifts. And man, these were guys from all different walks of life. Man, there was one guy, awesome dude, but man, he was having like sex with his girlfriend and partying every single weekend. Like we had another guy who was living alternative lifestyle. I had one guy who literally is just smoking and doing drugs all the time and that's just his lifestyle, right? And we know what the Bible says about these things. But I had a choice to make in that situation. I could say that I'm right and hold the truth. Or I could choose to love and come from a place of forgiveness. And over time, I just got to know all of these guys' stories. The relationships they had with their parents of all of these other things. So much so, we would go get food after work. We would go actually to the beach one time. And I knew that I made it big. When one of the guys, his name was Mark, he's like, guys, my birthday's coming up. I want to go to Orlando and go to a water park. And I'm like, well, that sounds like good, clean fun that I can do. So count me in. 
And I remember when we're up in Orlando, all of us are like in this hotel room. Um, we didn't have tons of money, so we all shoved ourselves into one. And we're all there. And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm with Mac. I talked to him ahead of time. I was like, hey, there's actually a church in Orlando that's about 30 minutes away. I actually really want to go to the service tomorrow morning. I know that it, it took us a long time to get up here. We're really tired, but it means we'd have to wake up two hours early. But if you guys want to come, I would love for you guys to come to the church service with me. And to my shock and surprise, all of them got up in the morning, got dressed and came to church with me. <laughs> Literally, I thought it was just gonna be me and Matt going, you wanna go to the water park later? But all these guys are sitting in a row, hearing a message, listening to worship and being in the presence of God. And it wasn't because I thought I was right. It came from a place that I was forgiven. There were times that I was uncomfortable because of the music that was being said and the words, absolutely. But if God's forgiven me, how can I love these guys right where they're at? We rarely help someone by judging their sins, but we might help them by loving them and pointing them to the one who can forgive their sins. I want to read you a passage by Paul the Apostle, and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 and 3. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I did not love I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Let me put it in our context. You could read the Bible from cover to cover, know it all in Greek, know it in every translation, but if you did not love, it wouldn't matter. Man, you could be serving, you could be in a small group, you could be going through rooted right now, but if you did not love, we've gained nothing. Man, you could be right and you can know how to live every certain way, know how to raise your kids, have a greater relationship with Jesus. But if you do not love, we have gained nothing. Remember, it's that by your love, people will know that you're his disciples. Not by how right you are. Truth is important. But he never said they'll know us by our righteousness. He never said they'll know us by how right we are. He said that we'll know that we are his disciples but by how we love. So who are we? We're the body of Christ. We are children of Jesus Christ. We are here to be the light of the world in a dark and broken place. And we are here to be that love to lead with love. Why? Because proud people don't love well and we'll be ineffective and we can't be used. And when we have a heart that says, I'm right, we're missing the mark. But when we're humble people, when we're forgiven people, we're able to look past and love them right where they're at. We're not judgmental. No, 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 no. We have profound gratitude. No, we're not gonna be easily angered and offended. Why? because I can be more accepting because of what Jesus has done for me. And because of that, I can share love to those who I'm on opposite spectrums with, whether it comes to politics, whether it comes to abortion, 
whether it comes to capital punishment or how the country should be run, whatever the issue is, I can overlook it. Why? Because I'm forgiven. Jesus wasn't just concerned about right and wrong. He was concerned about pride and humility because proud people don't love well. I told you earlier in this message that I was gonna push you. I'm gonna push you now. Like this whole message you've been pushing, I'm gonna push you again. If you're right about so much, you're not as right as you think. Because you may be right about your ideas, but you're probably not right about your approach. And Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to tell the truth, but he never told us they'll know us by our righteousness. They'll know us by our love. So I want to push you. Who have you isolated because you've been right? What person has been pushed away from hearing about Jesus because you've been There's two things I want you to do today. The first is simply this, is I think a lot of times we can stand in a place and have a heart of a Pharisee. I think there's a lot of times that God's convicting me is that Chris, man, I know that I need to live in grace, but there's still areas in my life that I'm still too prideful. God can't use us when we're living in pride and we're proud and we're right, he can't use us. So the first challenge for you today is how can we ask for forgiveness? God, remove this heart and give me a new one one that's thankful, one that's living in forgiveness that you can use. Like Chris, how do I know that I'm being proud? If there's someone in your mind that you think is wrong, there you go. We've got to repent from that and move forward. Because once we're living from a place that I'm forgiven, here's the second thing I need you to do. And here's the push. We need to be servantly loving just as Jesus did. So that person that you think is wrong, how can you love them this week? Is it a family member that you disagree with on so many issues? Call them up and just listen to them and tell them how much you love them. Is it a coworker that on everything else you disagree, take them out to lunch and get to know their story? Who do you think is wrong? Because if you think that they're wrong, Jesus wants you to go and love that person. And it's tough and it's challenging but they won't know us by how right we are. They will know us by how we love. We've been called to win, train, and send the Midwest for Jesus. And we're not gonna do that with proud hearts, but we're gonna do it in humility. Why? Because proud people don't love well. Well, everyone in this place, bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna pray for you. God, I thank you so much for today and this time that we have to be with you. God, I pray right now for every person in this room, whether we know it or not, God, there is pride within our hearts. Whether we recognize it or not, God, we're living the life of a Pharisee. God, you want to use us. You want us to be effective, but we can't with the pride that's here. So God, we lay that at your feet today. We ask God that you would go and start to move in our hearts, remove that so that we can come to a place that we're forgiven. And God, I pray today that the very person that we think is wrong, that we would love them unconditionally, just as Jesus loved us, so that we can be effectively used by you. We love you and we thank you. It's your name I pray. Amen.